0: Well, good morning. We've um, we've reached our last uh, Sunday. In uh, in many ways, what's been the most challenging uh, series that uh, I've ever preached. Series that uh, I'm calling uh, "Is God to Blame?" Um, the kind of alternate title for the series that I've just kind of had in my own head. I haven't shared with you yet, but the alternate title for me. Um, just uh, to try to uh, uh, lighten my wrestle sometimes when I get bogged down in the complexity of it, is uh, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? And um, what I mean by that is we've been wrestling with um, really just over how exactly it is that the biblical picture of God's ultimate Sovereignty and control over everything relates to and works in perfect harmony with the equally strong biblical picture that human free will and responsibility matters and has great effect. Which comes first? Uh, the chicken or the egg? And I don't know... I, I, I was thinking this week, I'm not sure that there's a more complex question uh, in the Christian faith than um, what we've been uh, discussing these last few weeks, and I'm not sure there's a question that stirs more, at least, um, emotion and feeling deep within us, because at issue here um, is the very character of God, and... Also, very strong opinions on what scripture has to say. And when you put both of those out there in an area where, for years, millennia even, uh, believers uh, have wrestled with this, emotions can run understandably very deep. On the one hand, uh, is the chicken. No. Uh, Uh, On the one hand is the opinion that God has meticulously planned in minute detail absolutely everything that happens in life, including good things and evil things. And I've labeled that outlook uh, for sake of our discussion uh, the blueprint worldview, that God has a blueprint that is Uh, meticulously detailed. On the other hand is the opinion that evil in the world is not planned by God. He doesn't will that. Instead, evil in the world arises solely from the ongoing battle between God and the devil and even between God and free will human beings who choose to be disobedient to God's commands. And for the sake of discussion, I've labeled that uh, perspective uh, the warfare worldview. And as I've said, what makes this uh, a complex issue is uh, both of these worldviews find their support in Scripture. Um, That makes it complex and it also makes it emotionally charged. Now, Two weeks ago, um, I made the case for um, the warfare worldview. So uh, this morning, I'd like uh, to make the case for a more blueprinted outlook uh, on God and life, and then, then at the end, I'm going to try as best I can, so help me God, um, to land the plane uh, on all of this. And uh, I'm not sure how smooth the landing will be, but if it's a crash landing, um, rest assured your seats are, are, are floatable cushions and the exits are clearly marked. But um, I'll try to take us down um, gently in a way that I think, um, I hope, um, enables us no matter which way we lean to see the value at least or to empathize with those who find courage and comfort from the other worldview, uh, depending on what your orientation is. What does Scripture say, uh, first off, about the blueprint worldview? What does it say um, in support of a blueprint worldview? Well, uh, in a word, it says plenty. In the Old Testament, Well, in the Old Testament, pick a book, any book. And you will find that for the Old Testament writers, it's virtually inconceivable that anything could happen independently of God's will and working. That theme is so prevalent in the Old Testament that the Old Testament writers can't even get themselves to use common impersonal expressions. Say, so what do I mean by that? Well, a common impersonal expression like, um, it rained. You won't find it rained in the entire Old Testament. And not because it never rained then, in fact, it rained a lot. But you won't find it rained. Instead, you'll find always God sent the rain. And that spirit, even in something as seemingly small as that, permeates the Old Testament. Uh, Rain simply never happens. God sends it. Um, The Hebrews clearly Uh, saw God as as that all-powerful determiner of everything that occurs. And not only active in everything that occurs, but they saw God as having planned it uh, long before it happens. God himself comments, for example, um, concerning the terrible destruction that was wreaked by the king of Assyria when he came storming into the land and um, literally destroyed from the face of the earth uh, 10 of the 12 tribes. And, and God himself says of what the king of Assyria did, this, have you not heard, God says, long ago I ordained it. In the days of old I planned it, and now I have brought it to pass that you have turned, O king, fortified cities into piles of stone. See, there's that sense in the Old Testament that every day has been designed and ordered by the Lord. And so the psalmist can write, your eyes, God, saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Two weeks ago, I, I shared um, that according to the warfare worldview, there are times, at least, that God's will, God's desire can be defeated, uh, specifically when evil happens. According to the warfare worldview, um, God doesn't ever will for evil things to happen. When they do happen, they happen despite his will that they not happen. And we talked about some scriptural support uh, for that opinion. That opinion, again, raises to a higher level the responsibility for demonic and human free will and choice. We use the example of Jesus praying and teaching us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as if Jesus praying that, we need to pray that because it's not always being done yet here on earth. So there's biblical support for that. But that opinion um, at the same time stands a stern challenge from other scriptures. God, for example, says, My purpose will stand, and I'll do all that I please. What I have said, that will I bring about. What I have planned, that will I do. For the Lord Almighty has purposed, and who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out, and who can turn it back? Those are rhetorical questions begging the answer, no one. The Lord works out everything for his own ends, even the wicked for a day of disaster. Many are the plans in a human's heart. But it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And now we humans, like Job, may not always understand as God works out his purpose in our lives. God comes and asks Job. In fact, Job quotes the Lord as asking him, who is this, God says of Job, that, obscures my counsel without knowledge. And Job replies, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. That verse always amazes me and brings me to my knees. How on earth, how on earth can Job, who has just tragically lost all ten of his children, whose body is going through terribly awful things? How can he speak of what he doesn't understand going on there as things too wonderful for him to know? And it reminds me that the turning point for Job is he sees God. And I was reminded by one of the songs we were singing this morning, Sorry, I forget the, uh, the lyric, and Rebecca prayed about it as well, that um, in, the, in the face of the glory of God, when we fully realize uh, God's glory, afflictions just, uh, we forget them. Because he's so magnificent. And he was so unbelievably magnificent that even an evil tragedy like losing 10 kids his scream and wail turns from why to wow nice and we know we're told in job the book opens Prior to the tragedies happening, with the devil and Job, or with the devil and God speaking. And the picture painted there is clearly God allowing the devil to mess with him. Just don't take his life, God says. And he limits him. And Job never finds that answer out. He continues to ask why. Where did this come from? What in the world is going on? And the sight of God himself turned the why into wow. You know what? I don't understand all this, but look at how powerful. Look at how loving. I'm with you. <laughs> Who else is like you? Where else am I going to turn? I'm with you. Things too wonderful for me to understand Things too wonderful are somehow responsible for and even makes that kind of tragedy forgotten. Wow. In the view of the Old Testament, An Old Testament believer at least saw God had created the world and he was directing history, which was the unfolding of a plan he had prepared in eternity. Creation in its vast extent and all of the details of individual lives, all of it included in this plan that would surely come to pass as God designed. And by the way, as a result of that, Belief. The prophets could speak of coming events with certainty. What about the New Testament? You can find the plan and purpose of God also prominent there. Jesus affirmed that God had planned not only large, complex events like the fall of Jerusalem as punishment for sin but uh, details as well, such as the betrayal of Judas. The apostle Peter said in his speech at Pentecost about Jesus, this man, Peter says, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And later, after the disciples had been released from the Sanhedrin, The disciples throw their heads back and they praise God, saying, they did, the Sanhedrin did against Jesus what your power and will, O God, had decided beforehand should happen. That's in Acts 4. And we haven't even gotten to Paul's writings yet, where those doctrines of predestination and election Permeate what Paul has to say. Paul's writings that God's divine plan, according to which everything comes to pass, is made very explicit. The fortunes of nations are determined by God, Paul says. And it even includes God's redemptive work, the choice of individuals. And it even includes Paul's own selection, Paul says, before his birth. We read in Ephesians 1 where Paul regards everything that happens as part of God's intention for his children, children that God disciplines. And so the author of Hebrews suggests in our struggle against sin, endure the hardship as discipline from God. And what about Revelation? That's probably about his New Testament uh, as it gets things still yet to come one of the many things in revelation that speaks of god's plan unfolding in meticulous detail even if many of those details are hidden from us in the apocalyptic imagery you get the feel that this thing is planned out and in there too uh, Forget about for a second how the timing all works out. There's uh, probably as many opinions on that as there are people in this room. But there's a binding of Satan. And there's a loosing of Satan. And God is the one responsible for the binding uh, and the loosing. So what now? Scripture giving us basis to believe that um, a blueprint um, and a warfare uh, are both going on. So what now? Which is it? Which comes first? How does that chicken and egg relate? Whenever Scripture paints two seemingly conflicting pictures, in this case, that picture of God's foreordained plan and the very Uh, on the one hand, and the very real role of human free will. Whenever things like that happen in Scripture, I want to give you the advice that I first read um, almost 30 years ago now uh, from a theologian. His name is Walter Henriksen. He published a short book on um, rules of biblical interpretation. And um, uh, rule 23 Uh, is as follows. Henriksen suggests, when it comes to interpreting seeming paradoxes in the Bible, when two doctrines taught in the Bible appear to be contradictory, accept both as scriptural in the confident belief that they resolve themselves into a higher unity. When two doctrines taught in the Bible appear to be contradictory, Accept both as scriptural in the confident belief that they resolve themselves into a higher unity. Henriksen then goes on to, to list uh, his top four examples of a most familiar paradoxes. And uh, as I was um, looking at those again, I sort of uh, ruefully smiled to myself that uh, we're actually covering two of the four in just this one sermon series. I thought, God, I should have just gone for the Grand Slam and done all four at the same time, you know. <laughs> Two's enough. The first uh, on Henriksen's list of uh, familiar paradoxes where uh, doctrinal truth in the Bible has, has scriptural basis behind it um, is the Trinity. You see scriptural support, uh, three persons. And you see scriptural uh, support, uh, one God. And then you go, huh? Three persons, one God, how does that work? Henriksen's advice is, when that's the case, accept both as scriptural, even if in his words, that is completely and utterly beyond our comprehension. Second on Hendrickson's list is the dual nature of Christ. Jesus is fully human and fully God. We're asked to believe that one plus one equals one. Huh? Maybe rule twenty three is the huh rule. I don't. Know. And we can't comprehend that either fully in every detail, can we? The third and the fourth on the list are things we've touched on in this series. The third one, not as much, but the third one is uh, the origin and existence of evil. And here's what Henriksen says about that. Logically, the human mind deduces, since evil exists, one of two things must be true concerning where did it come from. Either God created it or he didn't, and if he didn't, it's somehow co-eternal with him. It's what our logic says. There it is. Either God did it or he didn't. And it's co-eternal with him. And I love what Henriksen says next. The Bible leads us to believe neither is true. <laughs> it's a mystery. And finally, the fourth one on the list, um, the one most familiar to us, I think, throughout this series, the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of humans. And Henriksen says this about that. I, I don't normally read such a long quote, but every once in a while, do you have this sometimes too? You look at something and you read and you go, oh, I wish I had written that. Um, this is such a quote for me, and there, uh, there's much wisdom uh, in this. See what you think. It's what Henriksen says about that seeming paradox of sovereign election of God and the responsibility of man. He's talking about it in the context of salvation now, but it works equally in our context of uh, is God to blame. Here's what Henriksen says. Paul states that God has chosen the believer in his sovereign counsel before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1.4. Yet Peter states, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Huh? Huh? I added that, Hendrickson, to me. All through the scriptures, there is a well-meant offer of the gospel to all people. Humans are reviewed as a responsible agent who are held accountable by God. And whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no way that our minds can reconcile these two Difficult and seemingly opposite truths. When the Bible leaves two conflicting doctrines unreconciled, so must you. Living in tension isn't pleasant, but you must take great care not to lose biblical balance in seeking to relieve the tension. Do not wrench the scriptures apart in an attempt to force two conflicting doctrines into compromise. Our allegiance is not first and primarily to a system of theology, but to the Scripture. When you interpret the Bible, don't allow human logic to say it any more or any less than what, in fact, Scripture says. To the degree that the Scriptures speak with clarity, you may speak with clarity. When the Scriptures are silent, you must remain silent. Where the Bible teaches two conflicting doctrines, you must follow its example and hold to both, keeping each in perfect balance with the other. Here's my own personal attempt and how I view God in life. Maybe it's similar to yours. Maybe it's different. It's my attempt to balance these two seemingly conflicting points. I see readily throughout the Bible a call for people to act and to join in the battle and to pray earnestly, and to go out and fight the devil in power. I see everywhere in the Bible that what we do and what we choose in our ardent partnership with God makes a real difference. Does the warfare worldview help encourage that in me? It does. Without the warfare worldview, perspective. I can easily see myself going down the path and find myself sometimes going down the path. Uh, What's the use of prayer if it's all already determined? Uh, Maybe to keep me humble before the Lord, but really what I'm asking for if it's already planned out it's going to happen, isn't it? Whether or not I beseech God for it. See, I take comfort and encouragement from the warfare worldview that God truly responds and truly listens. His mind isn't already made up. It doesn't feel like when we go to our Father in Heaven uh, kids and maybe older kids too, when we go to our parents. You ever go to your parents, you know, you're, you're, you're certain what the answer is going to be, but you give it a shot? You know, I was just thinking, on Tuesday night, and I'd like, I, you know... And, and your parents, sometimes they listen to you, right? Sometimes it feels like what they're listening mostly for is when you stop talking so they can tell you what they've already decided. I'm guilty of that with my own kids. God doesn't do that with us. He's a genuine, empathetic listener. And he'll take you up on his lap. And when we speak to him, the Bible so glowingly has so many examples where it moves him. And I think without that warfare worldview, or wherever you want to call it, the blueprint can lead to, well, it's already all determined, so why bother? That's how the warfare worldview helps me. It helps to spur me into action and to pray. Here's where I find comfort in the blueprint. What I find in the blueprint is confidence. Without the blueprint perspective, I might really be subject to a real fear, a real fear that my faith in God, boy, this is way too big a risk. I take I take great comfort and encouragement from the fact that at least someone knows what's going on and has even planned my tomorrows, is already there before I get there, preparing my path ahead of me, Psalm 23 suggests. I find great comfort and encouragement in that so both comfort and encouragement that the biblical truth that every moment with our god and father is genuine and real and matters and it seems to me there's comfort in knowing he's always ahead of me planning my steps equipping me for something that if he didn't know what was coming or hadn't planned it how could he equip me i find comfort in the blueprint too And wherever you lean or wherever you come out in all of this, uh, I want to suggest perhaps one place where these seemingly two contradictory worldviews find much common ground. And that is, in the end, they still return to and come down to our need for faith in the midst of what we don't completely understand. The blueprint uh, uh, not completely understanding question is something like, why on earth would a God who is loving cause this really, really evil and hard thing in my life? That takes faith. That somehow he still is loving. And the warfare question. The warfare ends in faith too because It's unanswered question to me and all the reading and study I've been doing on it is the answer to this question. Well, why didn't or wouldn't God win this battle? Why did my child die? But you saved theirs. In the end, that mystery requires faith. Because we can't exactly explain why. And so these two contradictory, seemingly contradictory on our level understanding doctrine come booming together in the need for faith. And you say, well... Isn't God asking a lot of us to trust Him without complete understanding? And yeah, that asks a lot. How could He possibly do that? How could we be so foolish? To put our complete trust and faith in Him when we don't completely understand. And the answer, my friends, to that question is the cross of Jesus Christ. Even if you're ardently blueprint, if the cross of Jesus Christ and what He accomplished there is so, as Job experienced, I've had people ask me, "Ah, it really doesn't bother you that God would cause something like terrible, terrible to happen to your kids?" Yeah, it would bother me. But could I get and could I stay encouraged and comforted even to trust God? Would that create a real hurdle for me? You know, I don't know because I haven't had that kind of tragedy in my life yet. Praise God! But should that day come, I think where I find the answer to push through that, even if I'm told God causes it, is a deep appreciation for what it is he did for me on the cross. And I hope I could find the path to say, eternal damnation, you took it all away by giving your own life. You know what? What? For this relatively tiny time, I know the depth of pain, it doesn't seem, but for this relative timely time, for whatever reason, if you need to cause that to happen to me, I'm going to trust there's a reason. Because given what you've done on the cross, my Father, my Creator, you can do anything to me that I trust is for the greater good, even if I don't understand it. I give myself wholeheartedly to you. Both, I think, end up on much common ground in faith. I'm sure, um, I'm sure this problem of uh, evil and that paradox of God's sovereignty and um, human free will and its real effect is going to be uh, around for a long time. Um, I know George's class, Pastor George's class, and Dave McDonald have been uh, uh, looking at this too, uh, studying the book of Job. I I understand from uh, Paul Wiggs um, that uh, in the future he's going to, near future I think, uh, he's got some excellent material from a dear brother, Max Lucado, many of you have heard, Um, takes a different uh, angle. Uh, at looking at this same subject. I'm sure this difficult question is going to be around until Jesus comes again. And maybe even a little after that, <laughs> when we go up to him and we ask him face-to-face finally, huh? Why? Or, maybe as I suspect, that when we truly do see him face-to-face, like Job, as we begin to say what or why, What's going to be pulled from us in the light of his glory is wow! And even the most insidious evil will be forgotten because he's that big and that loving. In the meantime... Until that experience of God is as fully realized as I believe it was for Job and others. We're invited by God, I believe, to debate such things in unity and in love. Being gracious with each other when we don't fully agree on things too wonderful for us to fully understand. And I truly believe Henriksen's advice is best. We should in this interim cling tightly when we see scriptural support for two seemingly contrary opinions and be careful about bowing down to, however unintentionally, that idol of our own need to know more clearly by letting go of one because, ah, now now, now I got it. Now that... That one kind of gets in the way. This is crazy warfare stuff. No, God, what in the world is God? No, that doesn't make sense to me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get rid of one. Ah, careful that your motivation for doing that isn't uh, the idol of our needing to understand more. We make the same mistake Thomas did when he didn't believe the resurrection until he could see it with his own eyes. And blessed are those who believe but don't yet see completely, Jesus says. And in all of it, I think um, we can rest confidently in the Lord who loves us deeply beyond measure. And no matter where you land on which evil or which hard thing comes from somewhere, and is it the chicken or... Wherever you land or whatever worldview you lean toward, the Bible is crystal clear and does not present a contrary or contradictory doctrine on this truth. God is absolutely with you in and through the pain. Giving you comfort and love and strength and courage and weeping along with you because you're going through it for whatever mysterious reason. He's with you. And when he's with you, no matter what the worldly standard of success or failure is, on a heavenly standard, you will always succeed and you will never fail because you're in the hands of a God who is both all-powerful and unquenchable, infinite love. And if we ever get to a place where... Our faith is shaken because something evil happens and we wonder, how could God plan for that? Maybe he's not loving. Or on a more warfare side of things, boy, had the prayer team go on, I really believed God would save me from this fiery furnace or save my child, and he didn't. Why not? Maybe he's not powerful enough. If we're tempted to go down the road, as the devil would gleefully kick us down, your God's not very powerful. He's not powerful enough to win all the battles. Your God's not very loving because he caused or allowed this thing. When we're tempted to go there, Jesus' resounding answer to bring us back home to complete confidence and trust in him is that cross. Don't lose sight of no matter where your bent, is on this. And don't lose sight of each other. Don't divide over this one, please. If we do, we use these, what I believe are intentional, tensioned pictures in the text, we use them in a way not intended. They weren't intended to draw us apart, but to draw us together in love so we can learn from each other. And from this amazing, amazing, Let's pray. Father in heaven, I think one of the things that our common adversary the devil delights in most is seeking to divide us over such seeming paradoxes in Scripture. Don't let him do that, Father. Give us the humility and grace to continue to love each other. Keep us far, even as we seek to understand you more as we should, keep us far from ignoring the whole counsel of your guide, the Bible, in our efforts to so badly want to understand more. Help us, Father, to honor all of it and to remember Paul's advice to Timothy, to Tiny Tim. And all Scripture, all of it, is profitable and needed. Father, give us protection from the devil's attempt to tempt us in tragedy and in pain that you're not all-loving or you're not all-powerful. Take our chins, Father, and turn our heads Fully on the cross of Christ, stand on the empty tomb. If we're ever tempted to doubt your love on the cross or your power in the resurrection, remind us far more than once a year on Easter. Father, we love you. I give all of this into your amazing hands because you are indeed the great I am. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you stand, please, for the benediction this morning? As I wrestled with the complexity of these things, this priestly blessing um, was always close by through these four weeks because I felt often the need uh, for God just to give me peace. So I ask his blessing on all of us here this morning for just that. May the Lord bless you. And keep you, may the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, and may the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace, His Shalom in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. have a great day. come to the hoedown. How many of you noticed I wore my cowboy boots? you have you You have the free will to decide whether or not to come, but it may have been foreordained that you be there. So we'll see you tonight. God bless you all.